Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast bringing you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering a deadly tornado outbreak. New research shows a shift in frequency toward Dixie Alley and why that should concern insurers. Plus, a bill to stop AOB abuse in Florida moves forward. How state lawmakers are handling the biggest insurance battleground of the year. And making the most of your mutual membership. How your involvement with NEMIC can strengthen your company and increase the impact of our industry. But first, a quick check on the news. At least 23 people are dead after a devastating tornado outbreak swept across several states in the Deep South. Lee County, Alabama, saw the worst of the destruction when an EF4 tornado with an estimated wind speed of 170 miles per hour cut a path at least 24 miles long. A new study finds that over the past four decades, tornado frequency has shifted eastward from Tornado Alley in the Great Plains toward what's become known as Dixie Alley. Northern Illinois University Professor of Atmospheric Sciences, Victor Gensini, says this trend presents a significant challenge for insurers. Well, the biggest thing, number one, is insurance companies need to stop playing defense uh, against severe storms. They need to start thinking about playing offense. Uh, we have, I've just seen too many companies say that this is a hazard we can't deal with. We'll just deal with it when it happens, you know, and we'll try to take the historical climatological record and use that as a model going forward and, you know, in regards to what we'd expect for events, your sort of quote-unquote event set in your losses. Well, the issue with that is climatology is a moving target. And so if you're only using historical events to try to project future losses, you're going to have a you know, big struggle as the really the dynamic landscape of the risk changes, which is, you know, the probability of having a hailstorm or a tornado and coupling that with the change in exposure, which is really the change in the footprint uh, on the ground, uh, bigger cities, more buildings, more targets, if you will, uh, we'll continue to see increased losses. And, you know, this is now a peril that perennially is reaching $10 billion across the insurance industry. And it's really no longer, I think, along with wildfire, it's just no longer a peril that we can ignore. Gensini says while Tornado Alley remains the top zone for tornadoes, this eastward shift in frequency poses a threat for insurers. Population density increases east of the central Great Plains as well as the number of exposed homes. Gensini spoke about this study during NAMIC's commercial line seminar. You can view his presentation materials online at NAMIC.org. A bill to stop assignment of benefits abuse in Florida has cleared its first major hurdle. The Florida Senate Banking and Insurance Committee voted on March 4th to approve a proposal that would revamp the controversial insurance practice. The bill would allow the prevailing party in such states to receive attorney fees from the other side. State Farm lobbyist Mark Delegal spoke at a hearing Monday to explain the problem with the one-way attorney fee statute. The whole crux of it is to eliminate the one-way attorney fee statute advantage that a vendor and a business-to-business litigation has with a, um, an insurance company and replace it with something that is bilateral, equal across the board. And that's what the base amendment does. But what happens here in this Senator Thurston amendment is that it, re- it does repeal the one-way statute under 620, 
7428, but it replaces it with a, a fish of a, a, basically a different type of one-way fee. It is not bilateral. It is called prevailing party, but it advantages one party to the litigation versus another. And that is exactly what we're trying to uh, cure here and establish a level playing field. During the hearing, legislators offered several adverse amendments to the bill. However, those were ultimately withdrawn. NAMIC supported both the original and the modified version of that bill. There's been a change in focus when it comes to drones and a potential law. A model law being drafted by the Uniform Law Commission has moved from an early focus on ensuring privacy to now protecting drone use. While this move is beneficial to insurers using drones, the draft raises questions about the right of property owners and substantial privacy-related liability. NAMIC's Drone Working Group will scrutinize the draft and advocate for our views. NAMIC working groups, such as the Drone Group, are just one way for members to get involved with the association. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamnis talks with Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs, Neil Aldridge, about how you can make the most of your mutual membership. Well, welcome to Unscripted. You know, NAMIC is the longest-serving U.S. property casualty insurance company trade. Founded in 1895, been around a long time. Our core service, of course, is advocacy. We've had Jimmy Grandy and others on to talk about NAMIC's advocacy and the issues that we cover. Today we have a very special guest, Neil Aldridge, our Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs here at NAMIC. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, NAMIC membership and product services and who knows where this will go. But, Neil, welcome. Thanks, Chuck. So, you know, let me start with uh, education. I think a lot of our members know us through our education, uh, the various events and, and uh, seminars, uh, leadership uh, meetings that we host. Why don't you tell us a little bit about our education event lineup, um, what we do and why we do it? Sure thing. We've got a host of events that members can take advantage of. The in-person events, of course, range from technical events like our claims conference and commercial lines and personal lines seminars to our broad, you know, leadership events, the NAMIC management conference and the CEO roundtables, and then the signature event, our NAMIC annual convention, of course, uh, which is a big celebration of the NAMIC membership every year. Um, And we also offer a host of virtual events now. This is a growing area for the association. The in-person events um, are sort of been around a long time. The virtual events are fairly new. This is webinars that might be on a topic, they might be on a compliance area, they might be on an advocacy issue, or they could be a, you know, focused educational series about how to uh, train a new underwriter in a company. All these things are available for member companies to take advantage of. Uh, they, they do so um, at their own pace in the sense that none of the dues that they pay to NAMIC uh, covers these exercises, and so they can take advantage of how much or how little they want to uh, based on their own appetite for these things. I really think that's a key part of our uh offering and uh, it's one that's really been successful uh, in the past I'm just looking at virtual events I know you know starting a couple of years ago and we, we routinely have say 5,000 members that come to an in-person event but uh, we have 20 to 25,000 that are experience uh, the virtual events um, as they occur throughout the year yeah for sure and the demand for that's growing yep well, you know, as a mutual insurance company trade, um, you know, we really focus on the benefit to policyholders, and we think about that in terms of our service as dynamic teams, you know, supporting our members uh, as they support their policyholders. 
How can members get involved? We, we describe ourselves, as you know, as a member-driven trade association. Uh, how can members get involved in driving the activities of the association? Yeah, that's really the key, I think, to kind of unlocking the real value of the association is engagement. And, and it, we, we find the more companies get involved with the association, the more value they get um, in, their, in terms of their membership. And so there's a variety of committees, uh, our, our executive board level, uh, like our PAC board or the NAMIC board of directors would be a place for certain folks in a company to engage with the association. But we offer committees on the advocacy side. So there's our state affairs committee and a federal affairs committee that primarily focus on the issues that surround our advocacy and help set our agendas in those areas. And then there's a variety now of specialized councils and task force and working groups that might focus on one issue. So we have a drones working group and we have an AV working group. And these, these uh, councils and working groups specialize in a particular area, provide guidance to our advocacy to some degree, but also then provide some networking to member companies around those issues as well. We also have a host of events or a host of committees and engagement opportunities surrounding the educational events. So each educational event has a committee that correlates with it, made up of member company staff, and they plan the event. They decide who they want to hear from as speakers and what topics they want covered. And so there really is just a nearly limitless ability for a company to get uh, engaged in the association. And I think one of the things we focused on at NAMIC and something we've, we've, we've really tried to get better at, and that is to deepen the engagement beyond the C-suite level staff at a member company. Um, we, we're pretty good at that. We have a lot of great history with getting C CEO level uh, engagement in the association. And now we're really deepening that past that level down into the underwriting and claims areas and into the real issue-specific areas in a company as well. Coming up this year, I know we've got a special emphasis on uh, uh, participation. And, in fact, uh, in just oh, March-ish, we will have a distribution of a, a giant guide to all boards and committees, uh, leadership uh, groups, uh, sent to all members, and so we'll have uh, a new resource. Of course, it'll be online as well, but I would encourage any members who are listening and are interested in getting engaged to look at that guide and uh, reach out to any staff member. We can get you to the right place, and um, we always welcome new participants from among our members. One other thing about NAMIC is um, we're a little different than some trades in that we have the kind of one-member, one-vote philosophy. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that means? Yeah, it's it's really been, a, I think, a real key to NAMIC's success in that when you have the diversity of size of company that you have in the NAMIC membership with everybody from State Farm and Liberty Mutual down to regional size companies, down to farm mutual companies in the Midwest that perhaps you know, do business in three counties in one state, you really have to have a governance structure that allows you to sort of flatten that diversity to some degree. And the philosophy that's been in place at NAMIC, I believe forever, at least certain, certainly in modern times, um, has been this one company, one vote philosophy. So we have no permanent seats on our board of directors. And we have a rotation schedule for our committees for participation. Um, if there is a policy issue that needs to be sorted out, Regardless of company size or what business there may be in, they each get one vote. Uh, we don't have votes very often. We've had a couple in my 20 years here um, about around some policy issues, but occasionally we have the need to actually take a, a vote on something. But when that happens, um, 
it really, the, 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 the structure results in a consensus around the policy that benefits the advocacy. So you end up with a policy that isn't the product of a bunch of compromises along the way. You end up with a policy that is clear, that the advocates can go exercise, and it, it results in an effectiveness and a clarity of purpose that really makes NAMIC stand apart from other you know, trade associations in this space. One thing that helps make us uh, effective uh, at both the federal and state level is our PAC, and that has been a uh, strategic uh, focus for 10 years now, ranging from uh, when we started, a uh, very small and insignificant PAC where we couldn't even support our friends, to what we have now. Um, you want to talk a little bit about not just the PAC, but how, how members can get involved in uh, the advocacy side? Sure. Um, of course, the PAC, is a, as you mentioned, is a great success story here. Uh, and, you know, political action is, is one area that kind of comes with the territory of being a regulated industry. Uh, there's no escaping the idea that who wins and loses elections has an influence on what issues are or are not on our agendas given at a given time. And so uh, the PAC is one way for companies to get involved. Obviously, the easiest way to get involved with the PAC is to give and donate to it. Um, but the others um, are, are more subtle in the sense that we have a grassroots program, uh, that companies can engage in in terms of what we call the Congressional Contact Program. That is aimed at Washington. We have a growing area where we also have similar grassroots activities at state capitals. Uh, we do a variety of action alerts. We had one recently. We had a, a bill in Virginia that dealt with a bad faith issue, and we really mobilized our member companies to engage in that issue, and it mattered. It made a difference in terms of the outcome. We were successful in that. We have a long history of of being able to engage our membership in a grassroots uh, level, and that's, that's, a, that's an excellent way to sort of leverage this diversity in the membership that we have uh, that, that, that results in real, tangible advocacy results for the industry. Well, let's continue on that because, uh, as, as you discussed, uh, or I guess to characterize what you discussed, uh, it's a continuum. Start with, you know, elections, who gets elected, then what are the agendas, those elected leaders carry into their offices, then what kind of laws are passed, and then we get to regulation, as we are a heavily regulated industry, regulated at the state level. Tell us about what's been changing and what we're doing now in compliance. Yeah, this is a real growth area of the association and something that uh, we're all proud of, and that is that uh, we've expanded our compliance resources and tools to member companies. Uh, we now have a dynamic 50-state uh, set of surveys that is pretty unique in the sense that companies can go in and select issues and select states and they can drill down, create their own alerts. Uh, it tells them all of the law that's relevant for insurance companies from a compliance perspective. We also have a legislative tracking system where they can go in and track bills to the legislative process and customize it in any number of ways to fit their own needs. We have a specialized uh, communication suite of products that are available for member companies that are compliance-oriented. So we have a weekly compliance roundup that is called the Compliance Weekly. Uh, it comes out on Fridays. It is sort of everything that's fit to print from the last week of all the compliance-related activities in the states. Um, and then we have compliance alerts as well. So that is a company can go in and subscribe by state. And if you get an emergent issue in a state, uh, the Florida Insurance Department puts out an emergency rule ahead of the, ne the next hurricane. Those kinds of issues that come along 
Uh, you'll get an alert in your email box about whatever you have to change or comply with to deal with those issues beyond the routine sort of issues that you'll find in the Compliance Weekly. We've got a great staff now here at NAMIC too. Jeff Baker leads our compliance area. Jeff uh, comes to us uh, from a member company previously and was a general counsel there. Uh, we now have Angela Stackhouse also on staff, another attorney. Uh, they are really adding the intellectual horsepower and analysis to our compliance services. Um, five years ago, you would have looked at NAMIC and not seen a lot of compliance material. Today, it is uh, front and center and offers companies a real uh, value change in terms of their membership. It adds value to their membership and gives them the information that they have to get to be in compliance with, as you said, the myriad of laws that exist in the states and the ever-changing laws that exist in the states and more so at the federal level as well. So last, uh, last item, and this gets to really something that all members and non-members have access to and interact with the association through, and that's our website, NAMIC.org. We had a dramatic redesign and improvement of the website well, almost two years ago now. Uh, it is really the hub for not only compliance information, but all kinds of news and updates and information about the association, educational seminars, the things we've talked about today. Tell me about the website, and uh, I think you're going to lead off with why it's important to be a uh, registered user. Yeah, uh, it seems simple. Um, one of the things we've learned, um, and this kind of goes really into some of the some of this uh, content on this podcast, is that uh, we, we've, we've engaged in a serious effort to sort of reorient members to all of the benefits of the association that they get um, in terms of their membership, and that starts with registering for the website, NAMIC.org. Um, and if you register for the website, you can go in and customize your subscriptions. It, it sort of turns on the members-only area, allows you access to things like our compliance surveys and legislative tracking and it really is the key to being able to unlock um, everything that's available to the members. Um, and it starts by going to NAMIC.org, becoming a registered user. It's a very simple, intuitive process. There's a little bar at the top right-hand corner of the website that says Create an Account. And if you don't see your name when you go to the website, hit that Create Account button and follow the instructions, and it's pretty easy to become a registered user. And that really then turns on the membership benefits that are available to all staff at member companies. This is not just something that's available for some people at a member company. It's available for everybody that works for a member. Great. Well, Neil, thanks. And, uh, you know, thinking about what's happening now, maybe foreshadowing a future event, uh, we just received the um, input from a strategic planning survey. It was out in the field with our member companies. Uh, we've done a series of focus groups and are really right in the middle of uh, a strategic planning exercise that will set our broad course for the next few years. And I'll bet we'll have you back uh, soon to talk about some of the results of that as we get uh, it before our board in July and uh, set our new strategic plan. So thanks for being with us today. Great. My pleasure. On the next Unscripted, Chuck talks with NAMIC's John Bergner about the complex issues surrounding insurers and the legalization of marijuana. He'll talk with John about NAMIC's latest white paper and how, as the demand for marijuana increases dramatically across the U.S., there's a lot to understand about the new legal landscape and how it will affect insurance companies. 
An Indianapolis doctor braved the shave during a NAMIC-hosted event to raise money for the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Riley Children's Hospital oncologist Dr. Jamie Renbarger shaved her head to honor former patient Tyler Trent. The Purdue superfan passed away on New Year's Day, but made national headlines during his final months for his commitment to helping others with cancer. Renbarger says shaving her head is just a small way to continue his legacy. I think when I started, um, it really was about connecting with patients and families mm-hmm. and sort of um, making a very concrete gesture um, toward how important I feel pediatric yeah. cancer research is and, and what I'm willing to do to, yeah. besides dedicate my career to it, to, to really try to exemplify that to the world and, and help raise funds. Dr. Renbarger was one of more than 30 people who shaved their heads before the Indy Fuel hockey game to raise more than $30,000 for the St. Baldrick's Foundation and its quest to cure childhood cancers. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and we hope you'll keep tuning in as we return with more insurance news and information on March 20th. If you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.